Hello everybody, host Brian Holland here with the plugs. We just wanted to mention that the second of the San Sands Circuit Qualifiers was on this past weekend next to Melbourne Regional. The San Sands Circuit, the Australian division of the ANRPC, has had a quality reception so far. If there isn't one at your favourite local game store, it's not too late. Please tell the store to get in contact with us if they would like to run a qualifier. They can do so at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. And before we get into our interview with Damon Stone himself, we just wanted to take a moment to thank those of you who are supporting us on Patreon. The Winning Agenda Patreon Supporters Facebook group, which is what you get access to for the $2 per month entry, is constantly buzzing with conversation deck ideas strategy shared stories of bad beats and wins alike there's a really strong little community which is growing there and we're really happy for it if you want to support us on patreon if you like what we do you want to see what else we can do jump onto patreon.com slash the winning agenda and choose a reward tier that suits you please enjoy this week's episode of twa Good evening, and welcome to episode 84 of The Winning Agenda. Tonight, our panellists include 2014 World's Top 16 competitor Jesse Marshall. Hello. 2015 Regional Champion and 2015 Australian Nationals Top 8 competitor Wilfie Horrig. Hey, how's everyone doing today? And lead designer and developer of Android Netrunner Damon Stone. Hello. Damon, uh, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on uh, again. Uh, as Wilfie noted before we started recording a Last episode that we had you on to talk about the most wanted list announcement was one of our most successful, so we're very happy to have you back here, and thank you for taking the time. Well, certainly my pleasure, and thank you for inviting me, although I don't know if I can lay claim to any of the credit for that being your most popular episode. I think that had more to do with the nature of the uh, podcast itself with the most wanted list. I'd say it was definitely yeah, 50-50 at least, in terms of 50, listening 50, to your voice and hearing about the NAPD. The sultry baritones. I'll take it. <laughs> Alright, so uh, your second attempt to break the internet, Damon, was the announcement of the 23 Seconds data pack, the first data pack in the Flashpoint cycle. Um, uh, most of the community was under the impression that Netrunner was dead and there was never going to be any uh, rele- release again for the history of the world, and once, ag- once again, everyone was proven wrong. And we're very excited just to talk to you about uh, not only this data pack and the few spoiled cards, but the Flashpoint cycle in general and just your design philosophy moving forward. Is there anything like just overall you'd like to say about the cycle? Um, I actually had a lot of fun designing this. It's got some <laughs> really fun cards. Also, uh, some pretty strong cards uh, sort of across the board, I believe. And so that's... Yeah, so, so that's something that is sort of hinted at in the article that was released along with these previews, which was talking about this 23 seconds event uh, and how it has made Corpse look to act more aggressively than ever, I think is the wording in the article, and runners um, taking advantage of the chaos. So is that um, sort of thematic language that's included there something that we're going to see reflected in some of the cards in the cycle and in this data pack? Uh, well, it was certainly was what was on my mind when I designed them. Whether or not I accomplished that, I'll let you guys decide. (laughs) Sure. We've already seen some um, pushing of the power levels in terms of cards like hard-hitting news. Uh, The terminal subtype of operation, was that something, you, an idea you'd had kicking around for a while, or was the result of trying to push the power level of a card by still having a drawback? Um, A little bit of both. Uh, originally, I had been thinking about uh, priority and how that works for the runner, how 
they can be forced to take certain actions uh, at the beginning of their turn before they have an opportunity to set up for it. And then to have an equivalent sort of uh, thing on the corporation side, something that they weren't going to be able to um, make necessarily the best planned use all at once, that it was going to take some time to get it set up. Uh, so for the runner, they have to set up whatever they're going to do for their priority the entire turn beforehand because uh, it has to be done with the first set. So you've got a priority run event. You need to make sure that you have any breakers that you're going to use, um, any credits that you want to accumulate. You have to have all that set up before running you know, a priority run event or whatever sort of uh, priority event that you want to use. For the corp, it's the exact opposite. They are going to play this event, and then the runner has an entire turn to try and mitigate the effects or dampen um, the the strategic goals that the corp is planning on taking. And only on the corp's next turn are they going to be able to actively take advantage of whatever they accumulated or whatever uh, decisions um, the uh, terminal event is sort of laying out for them. And that's really a fascinating design space because I think for runners, uh, the the clicks that the runner has have never been... Um, well, they've always been slightly relevant, but the fact that it's been so difficult to tamper with them and that um, the power level of the things you can do on your own turn as the corp hasn't been quite this high before means that the incentives to do things like false lead away around a f- whole turn has never been that great. But if you've got things that are this strong um, and this hard for a runner to deal with where they actually sort of need all four of their clicks to realistically deal with hard-hitting news and remove all those tags, um, it starts to bring things like false lead into a little bit more focus and put a lot more um, options out there for the way that people craft their strategies rather than having to do that whole burst, you know, seesaw, scorch, scorch, kill in one turn. You've got a lot more time to plan it, but then, you know, presumably we'll see some runner tools that'll let them counter these things as well. Yeah, I think it's cool that the fact that you're kind of cutting off the corp from uh, probably the most powerful thing they can do with the tagging operation, which is to kill the runner immediately, means that you can give it a lot higher power level in a range of different other situations, which I think will enable a lot of cool uh, deck building decisions and gameplay decisions in general. Yeah, I'm really hoping so. Um... The the idea of tag and bag has been around since the core set, um, and through various cards being released, uh, including identities, that sort of moved away a bit in the uh, in the game from Wayland to finding a home much more in NBN, and then the idea of the combination rush and if you do something to really slow down their rush. Uh, then they have this kill package available to them, uh, had made NBN a very attractive faction for uh, a while. Um, I've always really wanted NBN to be more about tagging the runner and manipulating uh, that state more than go for flat-out kills. That, to me, is a much more Wayland strategy. So... um, I think going forward, just generally with my design, you're going to see uh, NBN get tools that 
are going to be strong and powerful, but are going to really tend to pull themselves more in the um, get multiple tags, profit in some fashion from those multiple tags. Uh, while I think Wayland is probably going to be a little bit easier to be the home for uh, flat-out kill. And that's certainly been one of the weaknesses of tags in the game generally, is that the number of tag punishment cards is so low, because intrinsically in the game, the ability to trash resources is the only natural tag punishment, and the only tag punishment cards we've seen uh, see a lot of play are all seeing I very recently, but before that it was pretty much closed accounts and bad times. Does this mean, um, in terms of what you were just saying there, Damon, that we might see some different ways for NBN to utilize and leverage tags along perhaps the lines of Keegan Lane, but other things as well? And Lily Lockwell. And Lily Lockwell, sorry. There are other uh, there are other examples that have already come in. Like you have Quantive uh, Predictive Model, where... Yeah, mm-hmm. I believe that's the, the name of the card. Um, where yeah. the kitty, you, yeah. yeah, if you steal the agenda while you're tagged, the uh, corp just gets to take it. So you you will see a lot. Uh, you should see a variety of different ways for NBN to be able to leverage uh, tagged runners. Going tag me as a runner is probably going to be a little bit less desirable than it uh, than it has been in the past. One of the other massive things that was spoiled from these first few cards is uh, something that we hadn't seen before, which is the existence of a trash icon on a piece of ice, um, something which I think uh, most people agree opens up a lot of design space. Uh, how long did you sort of spitball that idea around and, and what were some of the ideas you had for putting trash icons and things that weren't just upgrades or assets? Um, well, it took me about 30 seconds of thinking about it <laughs> to decide that that was just much too fun to not uh, give a go at. And once I thought about it, it really became a question of what would entice a corp player to essentially make their deck more their R&D um, and even their hand more porous um, and so that to me just very clearly said well the effects are going to need to be strong you're going to need to be tempted to do this um, so ice became a, a, a no brainer so when you have chrysalis you have a piece of ice that essentially protects your deck and protects your hand without ever actually having to be played. In a similar fashion to something like, you know, the ever-present snare of the same faction. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think this is is something that we've spoken about at length on, on this podcast in terms of the approach we'd like to see design take. To have cards do more than one thing, that when you include something in your deck, it's not just doing a single thing and then you've got another card that does another thing. To have cards that do multiple things, perhaps not as well as other cards that only do one thing, but it just gives a bit more space for creativity in your really limited number of slots in your deck. Is that something that you've sort of tried to do a little more in this uh, with your approach to design? Um, honestly, no. Uh, I find I find cards that do a lot of different things um, actually a bit messy and not particularly good at design. I... I I strive for uh, for elegance. Um, 
and like that's going to mean very different things to a lot of different people but in my mind a good card is something that is not too hard to conceive of is not too hard to figure out how to play properly and it serves a primary function in your deck but at that same time it may have alternate means that it can be played so you have a card that might be really great defensively but when combined with another card actually makes a very strong offense or a card that's like hey so I perhaps can... so go ahead oh i was just going to say so perhaps rather than cards that do multiple things cards that um leverage the uses of other cards to make them behave in a different way is that sort of yes what you're getting out there or? yes Okay, and I guess that's another way of achieving a similar thing, isn't it, in, in a sense? Yeah, that's not to say that you won't find cards that will have, like, you know, do A or B. Um, it's just that those types of cards, to me, um, they make the game too easy. Okay. <laughs> right, if I have, if 10 out of my 45 cards serve as dual purpose cards they can literally do two different things um that's not a tough choice those 10 cards assuming that the at least one of those two things that it does is good are if not necessarily auto includes are definitely the very first cards that i will be considering to put into a deck and that sort of just automatically leverages them above everything else but a card that can be used in fashion A or fashion B depending on the circumstance I'm in and other cards that I have in play that creates a, a much more interesting set of deck building choices um, you know, for, and would you say that Chrysalis is an example of the latter? yes, to me it's, it's definitely an example of the latter, it's, it's a piece of ice a piece of ice does one thing, it protects your deck um, or I should say, it protects a server. This one just happens to be very robust in that you don't have to install it for it to also protect a server or two. And that's where the downside balances it out then, I suppose, that it's yeah, trashable. exactly. Yes, that you can trash it. That if they run into it, um, accessing the card in R&D or in HQ, they can get rid of it before you have an opportunity to give it additional life. And I have to mm -hmm. say, um, in terms of having played against Archangel, which obviously yeah. ha is the only <laughs> other ice in the game at the moment that has this ability, um, it can be quite frustrating running into an Archangel repeatedly. And Archangel's effect is not something that's always relevant in the game. So sometimes you just sort of go, oh, thank gosh, this is just an Archangel and not something else. But I yeah, definitely yeah. saw a whole lot of ice that came out, had this ability, and had ability, had uh, subroutines yeah. that... Um, punish the runner a little harder and didn't have a trash cost i think that would be really difficult um so i think adding the trash cost in is a really great design decision to mm -hmm. really balance that that mechanic out so i really like that thank you when we last uh spoke damon uh you mentioned that wayland will have their time in the sun and i believe that was a direct quote uh the parenthetical uh, ice, uh, is it Marsalis? Marsalis, is that correct? Marsalis, I think. Yeah. Marsalis, Marsalis, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Mausoleum. Exactly. Oh, yeah. That's where the something like that. Comes yeah. From. So, uh, one of the um, things with Wayland has been their advanceable ice, and from from the core set, it's either been uh, a one for one basis for a strength increase, or we also saw uh, swapping of subtypes of ice. So, or a three for one um, reduction in cost. 
was it three for one reduction in cost? Oh, that was the other one as well. Right. Um, so did you have a few ideas ticking around for uh, another way to sort of exploit the advancement uh, principle for Wayland? And how did you land on this one? Well, I've always thought that advanceable ice was fun. Um, that depending on the metagame, it has the potential of being strong. But with the the way that the greater meta had gone, most uh, advanceable ice was just considered too inefficient. You got a low strength, low sub ice without a lot of impact um, for a low cost. And then you had to have this continual set of investments just in an attempt to stay ahead. And this would be like your firewalls and your ice walls. Um, or you had sort of a binary point decision, and this would be the uh, the morphing ice, where it's like, oh, you've got your code gate breaker out, let me advance this, great, so now it's a sentry, or now it's a barrier, or it was a barrier, now it's a sentry code gate, um, forcing the runner to have to always have some sort of like a relevant gear check out. Um, but, uh, and then you had the like, oh, well, if I pay for it all, you know, up front, I can essentially buy ice on layaway, you know, a minimal investment and then get a huge return, um, as long as I don't have to res it immediately. Um, but those all sort of landed a little flat with the community. Um, so what I really thought about doing with, uh, advanceable ice was the idea of, um, two pieces of ice for one install. So if you look at Mossless as a four, five with three subroutines where you gain a credit, you do one net damage and you give the runner a tag, you're like, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty solid, you know, piece of ice. That's pretty aggressive. Um, but frankly, it's also a piece of ice that the runner can ignore, you know, just go right through it. Having, you know, drawn up, they don't care if the corpse only getting a single credit and the tag, well, as long as they have two credits at the end of the run, they can and a click, they can shake that. You know, and that might be cheaper to do than trying to get past a five strength ice with you know an, an inefficient code gate breaker, depending on you know what their particular build is. But and it, Damon, yeah, I think that's sorry, just to interrupt briefly there. I think that's a really interesting point. The way you've analyzed that from a de design perspective, the weight and the value that you've given to these subroutines based on how scared the runner will be of them is that different? Do you think to how you and the rest of the design team were conceptualizing subroutines? You know, right back in the core set, has your evaluation of these sorts of effects changed? I don't know if I would say that it's changed. I think it's gotten a little bit more sophisticated as. Um, as the players have become, well, as, as the players have become more sophisticated, as the the cost of getting through a piece of ice, um, the evaluation of that cost has changed on the part of the players. It's required us to also change how we look at what the cost of uh, getting through is. And so some pieces of ice from you know the corset are still really good. You know, they've got some, you know, aggressive subroutines. They've got, you know, a good cost or good strength um, that pairs up with them. And some of them are not so wonderful. You know, some of them, it's like, well, frankly, there are means of getting the economy necessary to blast through this or getting the clicks needed to blast through this 
um, or frankly just get the right kind of protection or engine setup where I can ignore it entirely and just walk right through and shrug off its effects. And so as that side of the game progressed, um, our approach to ice had to change as well. I did want to say one more thing about uh, about Mausolus. Um, so when you look at it as a 4-5, you're like, okay, you know, that's, that's really good. It's not a wonderful thing to face check. The runner is going to really despise getting a tag when they didn't think that they were going to get one, especially out of Wayland. Um, especially if they've been keeping track of where their influence is and like, yeah, they probably don't, they're probably not running a suite of data ravens in here, so I can not worry so much about that. I just, you know, the SEA source and, hard and tag. Yeah, hard, hard tag. Hard tag yeah. off a card gate is not something people have had to expect out of Wayland before. No. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Um, <laughs> but when you take a look at Mossless as a seven cost, five strength ice with three subroutines that gain the corp three credits, do three net damage, and give the runner a tag and end the run. Now that's a piece of ice that needs to be broken, right? So I would be willing to pay seven credits for a five strength ice that could do those sorts of things. Um, it's not necessarily the ice that I always want to have out, but you know, mid to late game where I really need to make the runner not ignore the subroutines, pay those credits, take the time to shake tags and stuff like that. You know, that that's a pretty solid ice. But if I can upgrade an ice that's already installed, saving me the click of having to install a new piece of ice, saving me the credit of installing another piece of ice further out, or um, replacing a piece of ice that their you know their setup their their rig is now capable of just breezing through you know that that is you know saving me saving me a click to install a click to draw and you know potentially a click to uh to install that piece of ice so um i'm sorry for a credit saving me a credit to install further out um so it makes suddenly that three advancement costs go, well, that's actually not a bad return of investment. Instead of replacing the ice. Um, one thing, yeah. sorry, Brian, I just wanted to quickly note that I really like yeah. about this as well. <clears throat> Part of me is that the... <laughs> the Wayland in you is getting out. Yeah. yeah the, um, <laughs> the space ice, one thing that people found about it was that uh, it suffered from not having a critical mass of face-down ice that was advanced three times that it was realistically likely to be because there was only three or four if you count Orion, things that you would really want to be advancing that heavily before they were rezzed. <clears throat> but having something like Morsalus that fits into that same category and that once it has three advancement counters on it, it's turned on to the ex extent that the Corp would want it to, I think helps to add nicely to that um, group and means that Morsalus isn't just out there on its own when it's released as well. There are some other things that it could be when it's advanced three times. So I really like that. Mm -hmm, which is great. Uh, so, moving on to the runner side, one of the things that I guess you could say the community was in the dark about was whether or not the mini factions were going to get any further support going forward. And oh, I thought we were segwaying into Princess Space Kitten with that. One oh, uh, <laughs> really in the dark about, no, we sorry. may be. Spoilers, spoilers. Uh, <laughs> so, with another day, another paycheck, uh, I mean, I think that's been confirmed that we will be seeing support for uh, the all, all of the mini factions. So, when you were... Uh, moving about um, designing cards for the mini factions, Damon, were you thinking of sort of streamlining what was already established as their their style and giving them more options, or are you looking at 
expanding their options and you know giving them another layer of um you know uh, strategy to what was already established um i would say it's definitely the first one uh for now the the number of cards that they have um is not really enough to start in in my opinion to start exploring new depths i think that they need things that just sort of concentrate on their main strengths and make those work a little bit better before they see anything that gives them greater depth. With the amount of influence they have, they should be able to gain their depth by, you know, stealing cards from the other three factions. Um, at least for now. At least for now. I do want to make I want to make one quick statement. The kids on Sunny's cards, they are not the kids from BMI. They are not. Yeah, I did see that online. Someone was saying that they thought they were kids from. BMI as well, yeah. which was strange. You know, I, I, um, they are they are Sony's children. So Sunny yeah. would never kids. put that sort of thing on her children, is that? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I don't think so. I I don't think that she would have a problem with a means of her kids jacking into the internet or to the network, since that's what she does, you know, day in day out. You know, whether or not she should spend a bit of dosh on like a decent BMI, though, not a consumer grade one. Sure. Yeah, that that is that is definitely more <laughs> accurate. She she and Pat yeah. make uh, pretty good money. <laughs> um, still on the runner side, uh, Beth Kilrain Chang. Uh, I've been super excited about since I saw it spoiled, and I've just you know been really excited about slotting into any shaper deck or that I can get my hands on because the three influence probably not going to be able to move it around as readily as I'd like. But there are so many situations where, uh, as a runner, I'm looking over and I'm just looking at this you know insurmountable pile of credits that my opponent has amassed, and just being like, oh wow, this is really disheartening. There's not a lot I can do. But a card like this, which really gives you a decent bonus for depending on the amount of credits that Corp has. Uh, people have likened it to Vigil in the sense that the Corp still is in control of the bonus you get, but I think unlike Vigil, where they're just controlling the amount of cards they've got in their hand, uh, controlling the amount of credits they have can really, really stifle them, and I really, really like this card. So, how did it come about? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, the the card <laughs> itself um, is sort of like representative of the, the credit crunch, that is being depicted in the the fluff for um, Flashpoint. The idea that um, having a lot of money essentially makes you uh, a target um, within the within the fiction of this incident. Um, the idea of having a threshold. Like, oh, if you have under these amount of credits, then something happens. If you have over this amount of credits, this other thing happens. You know, Beth is a variable threshold. So if the corp has, you know, an operative amount of money, five to nine credits, you're going to get a credit, you know, when your turn begins. And that's... that's Which is still nothing to sniff at, That's pretty sweet. That's pretty sweet. There are entire decks based around resources that just do that and nothing else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. But, you know, if they start getting to the point where they can res very large ice or multiple ice on a turn of yours, you're going to be able to draw an extra card, right? It's like, oh, well, clearly I need um, some more resources to be able to tackle this corporation. So that is where that comes from. And if they've got 15 credits or more, you know, you are <laughs> you're in a hard way unless you have equal to or more credits than them. Um, but even then... 
that's not necessarily the easiest way of handling it because they're going to res something once and you're going to have to get through that piece of ice or deal with that upgrade or asset quite possibly multiple times. So their expenditure happens in a burst and yours as the runner happens over time. So getting that extra click will you know, help you get through there um, more frequently. And is this, um, is the idea that a card is more valuable than a credit? Um, and if so, is that something that you as a group of designers have always felt? Or have you sort of, as the game's gone on, formed more of a view that cards are more valuable than credits? Considering that they're both worth the same as far as the game's concerned, instead of, in terms of both being worth a click. Um, I think that it's entirely state-dependent, right? A credit, if you have the right tools, um, is going to be more worthwhile than another potential tool. It's like, hey, I need money to get this thing out. Or I have this thing that is out and I need money to be able to activate it. If that's the case and that's the card that you need in that moment, money is very clearly better. Um, Say you've got plenty of money, but you don't have anything to do with it. You don't have cards to put into play. You don't have the right card that you need to get through, you know, whatever death server or trap that the corp has created, then getting that card is going to be better, especially considering that that card, rather than giving you a single credit, might give you three credits or it might give you, you know, four credits. Um, and then, of course, a click is always helpful because a click it allows you to draw a card or gain a credit or activate another uh, card in play or just make a run. So I would say that, generally speaking, um, I think that the credit is the more useful thing to have over a card um, that is just a random card. But a specific card is almost better, always better than just a single card. Um, I was just going to expand upon the um, credits matters theme. Um, I, I really like how you, you've explained there. It ties into the, the credit crunch fluff. And I think I can feel the uh, tension in the air just reading these cards. Um, but is that going to be something that we see more broadly? We've sort of got half a card, observe and destroy, behind Beth in this image. And it seems to be another credit matters card. Um, is that something that we'll see a little bit more of throughout the cycle and throughout this pack? Definitely throughout the cycle, um, I make no promises about this pack specifically. But it could be something that we see throughout the rest of the cycle? Yes. Awesome. I think that's really interesting. And you should, you, you'll probably be able to notice that the runner card is if the corp has this much money or more, and that what we can see from Observe and Destroy is that it's fewer than six credits. Speculation time, internet, go ahead. I think that, that uh, the Shaper card is really interesting, and credits, credits Matters cards in general, especially formulated in the way like that card, the Shaper card is, just because um, things that punish the Corp for doing what the Corp wants to do naturally, I think, are an interesting design space. I think the card kind of reminds me of Gorman Drip in the sense that uh, if you can play it at a time where the corp really wants to execute their game plan and control the corp's resources such that they have no choice but to play into giving you resources from it, then it's 
potential can be much more than simply the resource cost of the card would indicate. Like it can give you a much higher benefit than you might expect, which I think in, introduces a, a very interesting element to the game. And I'm glad to see it be further um, explored, I guess. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I think that um, in Netrunner, uh, the concept of uh, an implied threat is significantly undervalued. Um, people tend to look at it like, well, how many bullets can I hit you with with this gun? Like, the gun is only as good as my ability to shoot you. As opposed to the gun being on the table, you seeing it and go, yeah, I should probably not mess with that guy. <laughs> right? So having, having something out there that's just staring them in the face and goes, oh. Yeah, well, if I make this choice, then I'm giving them this thing. But if I make this other choice, then I'm giving them that thing. Well, just the fact they're now starting to second-guess you actually has, like, a psychological benefit in a game that is all about bluffing and information control, right? Your deck is designed to do something specific. If I make you question how to play your deck, I'm already starting to get a leg up. And if you start making choices that are suboptimal for your deck in how you had originally designed it but seem to be the right choice in the moment because of the cards that I've put into play. I'm now controlling you and your decisions. Right? I'm making you skip to my loo and that puts me in a better place. And it's really, um, I think Sweeps Leak was one of the first cards that I remember encountering that sort of does that. I mean, it's not as good as these things because it's not on the table and it's not as overt as what you're saying, but I think anything that... Um, punishes your opponent for doing things that they want to be doing, i.e. having lots of cards in hand, is generally a good thing, particularly if you're playing against a NBN deck that's trying to kill you. But if they can then punish you for having lots of cards in hand, that's really sweet. And then they're caught in this sort of bind, oh, I want to have cards in hand because I don't want to die, but I don't want to give them more money from Sweeps Leak. And that's a really sort of low-level interaction, but once you start having more things like this that are actually on the board, sort of screaming in your opponent's face saying, if you do this, I'm going to get this sweet benefit. I think that's really cool. One of the things we often talk about when we do our card highlight episodes about data packs is that any new identity really uh, deserves to have a lot of attention paid to it because any new identity has the ability to introduce brand new strategies to the game and entire new depth to any given faction. Uh, one of the things I'm curious about Null is that um, you mentioned again when you talked about the MWL existing was that it would open up your design space. Was Null one of the cards in mind when thinking about the MWL in terms of Parasite being on there and how much did Parasite being on the MWL affect the design of this card? Um, I would definitely say that without the MWL, Null would probably just be too, too good. Um, and at uh, minus one strength, probably just not really good enough to to bother with. Um, I, I think that having such a strong fashion of um, destroying ice and weakening it uh, that was just so readily available um, was a bit of a bit of a detriment. Um, I would love to explore other forms of ice destruction, but with the data sucker and parasite being so ubiquitous, um, 
costing so little in influence being in so many factions besides just uh, Anarch made that a really daunting you know proposition um, being able to add a little bit of a influence cost onto that as well as all the means of recurring uh, those kinds of cards makes the makes the influence choices a little bit harder. Do I go in for, you know, ice destruction as my primary means of screwing over the corp uh, and therefore eschew all of these other expenditures of influence that I could be doing that are normally considered, you know, staples in a deck? Uh, or do I put just sort of a gratuitous amount to handle those just really, really troublesome pieces of ice and keep my deck more focused somewhere else or not focused and just keep it very toolboxy? Um, I think that is an interesting question. But just because the influence was you know, what it was for the recursion and for um, the burning down of ice cards that it wasn't a tough choice. It was really easy to include you know, a lot of that in your deck, plus a bunch of other things. Mm. And with um, Null, one thing that I sort of like about it very much in contrast to, say, Wizard, people sort of have pointed out with Wizard that um, it sort of distorts card design in a sense because you, if you design assets that are good enough with Wizard in the metagame, they're probably too good against other decks. Um, but if you don't take Wizard into account when you're designing trash cards for assets, then they're probably not going to see any play because Wizard just erases them. Um, whereas I think we... And that's because there's no drawback on Wizard's ability. You know, you always just have those three credits available. Whereas with this, the fact that you have to trash the card from your grip, it's only once per turn. It's a little more limited, but it similarly plays really, really well into the core strengths of Anarch with your fixed breakers and all of the other sort of ice strength Yeah, exactly cards. right. Um, I, I Without really like having to rely on Data really. Sucker. Yeah. yeah. Which is great. And getting back to the grassroots of uh, Anarch's original uh, breaker suite, which, you know, the fixed strength is really cool. By giving you another, not having to rely so heavily on Data Sucker. Yeah. I really do. Uh, this, this cycle is going to be uh, fun and novel, I think, for, uh, for Anarch. I had a lot of time, uh, or a lot of, I had a lot of fun uh, during my time designing the cards for them for this cycle. Um, there'll be, there are going to be some cards that <laughs> are going to be controversial. Um, there's one particular one Excellent. that's coming into mind already, and my playtesters are like, oh my god, you have to add this card to the MWL, you have to add it as soon as it's released. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to add it as soon as it's released, but it's one of those cards that um, went Can through playtesting. Can you tell us what card type it is? Uh, I could, yeah, in fact, us. tell you, but I am not going to. Oh, okay. Just being withholding. Suffice to say, it works with Null in a very good way. Um, okay. Excellent. All right. But, All right. Everyone gets speculating. Uh, but it was a card that went through playtesting. Um, it reported back reasonably well. People seemed to be reasonably pleased. Nobody wasn't in love with it. Um, and, and in the second to last... Um, approvals meeting, um, someone decided that it needed to be sexified, and so they they upped its power level a bit. And I have to say that 
I wish I had had the ability to like fight back against that. The card's going to come out and people are going to like, oh my God, you know, what is Damon thinking? And I'm like, I'm thinking the same thing you're thinking. <laughs> but this card, well, this card uh, is, uh, it's, it's fun. Um, if you're playing it, not necessarily fun to play against. Uh, it's a little on the bonkers side. Um, I firmly believe that there are a lot of ways of handling it. Um, but the question is whether or not the meta will embrace it or if they're, you know, just going to, well, you know, frankly, get super, get super salty. Is it, is it Bioethics Association? <laughs> <laughs> it's not that one? Oh, it's a different no. one. Okay, no. cool. No, it's not <laughs> um, that one. Georgia Emilyov, uh, according to the fluff, I believe, is the... Um, it's her fault. Corp agent who went who here. Yeah, she's the one who left Titan and went to Jinteki the day the day before the twenty three second incident. Is is that correct? Is that so who that she is? That is strongly implied in that uh, in that article. Strongly implied. Well, I'm also assuming because of uh, the, the flavor win, if that is the case, because there are two credits to move her to another server. Is that which she's running all over the place? <laughs> uh, like we're assuming probably, <laughs> probably. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, so that's, again, not an effect we've seen. Um, we've seen similar types of effects in Jinteki, which move cards through servers, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't think there's anything that can do it at instant speed during your paid ability window like this. Um, again, very good design space. Will we, will we see similar things to this in Jinteki uh, in this in this pack? No, not in this pack, sorry, in the cycle. Um, I, I'm no comment. Suffice to say that I think that the um, moving of, uh, of pieces of cardboard is a, um, an aspect of Jinteki that has not been uh, fully explored. Um, some of the instances of it were really interesting, but not really good. Um, for example, uh, Bullfrog. Like I have, I have decks where Bullfrog is awesome in, um, but mostly because the deck itself is just really brutal, and Bullfrog in that particular case just offers the runner no good choices. Not because Bullfrog itself is good. Um, that ability to just jack out um, really stunts it. The fact that I have to you know, win a Psy battle and therefore I'm paying, you know, one or two credits to get this effect to trigger off. Um, it's, it, it's, it's too clunky. It's too dependent on too many other things for it to have any real, any real value. Like really what it comes down to is, do I have a server that I can shunt you to that I don't care if you make it to the end? As long as I have one of those, Bullfrog is essentially... You know, pay, win a side bid to, you know, force the runner to spend, to run again. And there's something um, really good that I, having more swap effects would do for the rest of the Jinteki card pool and the, the positional ice and that whole sub theme, I think really benefits if swap effects are more readily available. Is that something that you sort of had in mind when you were thinking of reviving more swap things? Yes, yes. Um, uh, it is something that will be explored across cycles for Jinteki. So um, I wouldn't say that uh, Emulove is necessarily indicative of what you'll be seeing in Flashpoint so much as she's indicative of 
uh, cards that we will see coming uh, from for Jinteki, just generally speaking, which is more. Well, there of you go, the everyone. There might be another cycle after this one. <laughs> 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 Maybe you know, the sky hasn't fallen yet. But. Yeah, uh, she she's more representative of the shell game and the controlling of growth. Um, you know, sort of like emulating their their ability to manipulate DNA. Um, so you're just going to see that sort of thing a little bit more frequently uh, and probably a little bit more effectively in the future than you've seen it in the past. And that unsuccessful run punishment is kind of really nice. It's obviously the inverse of Hokusai Grid, um, but also really different to in a game that has so many successful run triggers. I really like that as well. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I think I think that it's just really fun to with Jinteki to create you know a damned if you do damned if you don't situation you run up against a piece of ice and you're like oh crap you know I did not properly account for that well I can always jack out and I can try again later after I've drawn back up or after I've got more money well now there's a cost to it I just realized how evil this card is like they yeah, go, they go really past nasty. the last piece of ice and she just runs away yeah, exactly. Yeah, she gets out of that, right. and Hokusai grid triggers. Yeah. <laughs> Jesse or Wilfie, did you guys have any questions about system outage? Uh, whenever the corp draws one or more card, he or she loses one credit. If it is not the first time he or she draws drawn cards this turn. Um, yeah, I guess I have a quick question about this, Damon. Um, it's another Anarch Econ Denial piece, which we've seen a little bit of the part uh, of in the past in terms of vamp, but not really heaps. Um, is this something that we might see explored a little more in Anarch, or was this just a really sort of top-down design to fit this important moment in the cycle? Um, I would have to say it's a little bit of both. Um, it is an aspect of Anarch that I've always really uh, enjoyed. Um, so having it reappear... Um, here for a little bit more of a exploration was something that I really enjoyed. It just also happened to be a good opportunity for it because of the theme. Um, so, you know, Anarch has, as you said, Vamp, but it also has, you know, Reyna and it has Xanadu. Lamprey, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Dip Lamprey. So the idea of finding ways to either um, drain the Corp of Credits by doing the thing that the corp wants to do anyway um, or by failing to do other things uh, is sort of just a general anarch theme and so I thought it would be fun to explore that just a touch um, in a cycle that is all about money before we wrap up as Jesse uh, eerily foreshadowed earlier in the episode we, we would be remiss if we did not ask you to confirm if the art on rumor mill was in fact the fabled princess space kitten I'm sorry, who? <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, if you talk about it, we'll have to uh, add a redacted stamp or whatever. To that. Yeah. <laughs> so probably best that you don't. Uh, actually, that's that's just my cat. Oh. Yeah. I don't ask where it's, I got a purple virtual cat from. It, uh, it, I don't. I don't like to talk about it much. With the megaphone, is that what's going on? There? Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. happens megaphone. to wear space helmets and uh, and, and have and the, tiaras. The tiara. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we, we wouldn't I, want the company to get over oh, flooded with uh, requests from eager netrunners. 
Yeah, that is in fact Princess Space Kitten's avatar. Okay. Yes, that's what I thought. So people are trying to tell me that's what she actually looks like. Well, I'm sure it's her, I mean, her avatar when she jacks in. It's not to say that it's not what she looks like. Yeah. Probably a <laughs> sans, sans fishbowl space helmet. I, I, I don't yeah. know. And cat form. Or are uh, you hinting at us that we could see our first non-human runner? Oh, I, I, I would love it if, if, if there was an idea that was princess. <laughs> non-humanoid. <laughs> first quadruped runner. Yeah, yes. that's a whole separate can of worms entirely. Yeah, yeah. I can't <laughs> that's not open. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't say that we won't ever have one, but I'm not willing to say that we will. Okay. okay. Uh, that is to say Excellent. a non-human runner. Uh, yeah, as to PSK, um, you know, it just depends. <laughs> it depends. It depends entirely on like if there is a set where it makes sense. If um, I have an ability that I think is worthy of her highness, then then we'll go from uh, there. Oh, okay. Well, that's a good one. That uh, people, if you've got oh, a God. great Everyone's ability, tweet at Damon. About that. Yeah. yeah, tweet it at. I'm sure he won't mind at all. <laughs> um, yeah. I just have one sort of um, other question that's a little bit more general, Damon, if you don't mind, uh, about sort of this this pack, but also what's coming before it. Um, just wondering if that you're able to confirm anything about the status of big boxes moving forward and whether we're going to see one before this pack's released or after the next cycle. Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny that, Senator. Um, generally speaking, uh, the website is the place for all breaking news. Um, if there is going to be any sort of box coming at any particular point in the future, that is the place that you'll see it. It'll be on fantasyflightgames.com. Excellent. Uh, but just before we wrap up, uh, Damon, was there anything you wanted to say in closing uh, about the uh, pack or the cycle going forward? Yeah. Apart from everybody well, buy the, it? Everybody buy it. Uh I have hinted uh, in an interview or two um, in a couple other places. I don't remember if I said anything about yours where people ask me, like, well, who's your favorite runner? Um, Mm. My favorite runner uh, at the time that I had been asked that question is in this cycle. Oh. Oh, God. And you're going to make a sleuth through the internet to find out who you uh, said. It is a runner who has is been it... mentioned at least once before. <gasps> oh, is, it, that's, is it Smoke? That's going to get smoke? the internet. Is the girl on oh, Daily Cast? I love her. Fizzy. I can't wait to see a card for her. Yeah. We're all so busy. <laughs> <laughs> that's excellent. Uh, can you tell us uh, which faction she's from? No. Or, oh, hey. No. Nope. Okay. No. Just that, Dual faction. Uh, just Dual faction cast. <laughs> <laughs> just that they that, exist. That, that the card right. will enable a deck type that people have been playing around with for a bit and have had various amounts of success. Okay. Uh, sounds Very great. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on, Damon. We really appreciate you um, jumping on and sharing with us your philosophy and uh, some of your personal thoughts on the design origins of these cards. Really, really do appreciate it. If anyone would like to get in contact with us, they can do so at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. Check us out on Twitter at Winning Agenda and go like us on Facebook. Our page is The Winning Agenda. Until next Monday, thank you again so much, Damon, for coming on. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you next Monday ad nauseum. See you guys. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening.